Hey, welcome to Probably Science. I am Matt Kirshen, and sat next to me is Andy Wood. Hello, Matt. Uh, firstly, little apology for last uh, week. It's on me. It's that, totally on me. That's the equipment. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, my, it's my equipment and what I did with it. So last week's episode, the last 20 minutes or so, it was, I guess every second or two was dropping a second. So you could, there was no audible, uh, there weren't gaps. It wasn't an editing thing. I wasn't messing with the file at all. Just half the audio was just missing and you could try to piece together what we said. But I think it was because I had this giant iMovie project open with like eight gigs worth of uh, GoPro footage. So it was just using up tons of memory. And also, fuck Apple. Fuck Max. But on the plus side, you've now got RAM. some sweet surfing footage up on the internet. It wasn't even uh. surfing footage. It was the actual footage of that stupid jet boat ride that I was playing. Oh, okay. Was, yeah. Um, but Max can fuck right off because, say what you will about PCs, at least they're configurable. You don't buy this black box that's impenetrable. You can put in your own RAM after you buy it. But this MacBook, $2,000, and I'm powerless to get more than 8 gigs of RAM into it. And I only bought it because I was starting a job where I was afraid... Like I've been on so many in so many writers' rooms where I'm the only guy with a PC, and eventually you realize you're not being taken seriously. Like you have to have this stupid <laughs> Apple logo. Oh, that's ridiculous. No, it's true. I, so I got I got hired for just one week of work on the MTV Movie Awards, and I went out the night before and bought this MacBook just to show up and be respected the next day. <laughs> and like it's a thousand dollar loss. Like I made enough to pay for half of the laptop in that week of work, and I should have just returned it afterwards. But um. Yeah, why can't I just buy my own? If you wanted to go from 8 to 16 gigs, I think it's like $400 more or something. That's not how much 8 gigs costs. It's I hate the way Apple like just goes about everything. They yeah. just they try to trap you with everything they do. Yeah, they assume that you're an idiot and you can't handle seeing how your computer behaves. Like you can't like open the hood in any way either in software or hardware. Like I just hate the condescension of the whole thing. That is the voice by the way of our guest this week, the very funny uh, very talented and very recently on Conan, Drennan Davis. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming along. Um, yeah, we're going to... Uh, oh, we should probably say as well, for those people who did not who did check out before the end of the episode, because it just got a little bit annoying to listen to, uh, check out Hampton Yunt, who was our guest last week at, at Hampton, H-A-M-P-T-O-N-Y-O-U-N-T on the Twitter. Yep. Oh, and also, if anyone has Burning Man tickets, I'm looking to buy one. That was the other thing that got mentioned at the end. <laughs> Have you been to Burning Man? No, I, I've had to sell my Me tickets neither. twice. I've never been. I've always been going to Edinburgh. Well, you—that's where I always see you. I think that's yeah, well, that's where the I other. Yeah, it's sort of it, it. You can just about do both because Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Festival, normally finishes just as Burning Man starts. Yeah, mm. but um, like the overlap's so tight, and you kind of you'd be running straight in there, or you might miss the first day or something. And you can't because you're doing kind of your own. Edinburgh's decentralized, right? So aren't you in control of when your shows go? Couldn't you just do the first three weeks of it and not? You totally can, yeah. but the finance of that, the finances of that, like most of the costs of doing putting on a show at the festival are the same whether you're doing oh, okay. four weeks or three days. Economies of scale or something? Exactly. Yeah, yeah and you the know, last part of the festival is way better than the first. Like the first week you're there, you're going to get like typically like five to ten people oh yeah because they don't nobody goes until like the reviews come out basically oh i see see. although there is the other thing sometimes when if you're one of the shows that's suddenly really well reviewed then you get all you're putting on extra shows towards the end but then other people can see their audiences start to decline as like people break away from the group so there's kind of but also the last week is when all the tv people come up because that's on the tv festival basically you don't want to not be there for the last weekend uh yeah so that's one of the reasons, yeah. and then and then I've had to sell my tickets twice. Once because of um, uh, I was working on the setless TV show, mm-hmm. and once because I was working ridiculousness and I wasn't allowed to take any time off. It's not right. Um, yeah, uh, listeners who are on the fence about it. Well, I guess it's like it's not a thing you would do passively. Or, you know, you wouldn't just do it as a last minute thing because you can't even get tickets. But I do recommend checking it out at least once in your life. Yeah, Andy was there last year. And, um, and I'm still planning to. I'm still fairly hopeful of getting tickets somehow or another. As of this recording, um, our our guest Matt Faulkner, who we had on after last year's Burning Man, um, who is a grad student, I believe at Caltech, he designed this ridiculously awesome musical Tesla coil, where the actual um, pulsation of the discharges like is at a frequency matching up with the tones you play on a keyboard. So it's like the lightning oh, cool. itself is the speaker. And he's making an even bigger one. If you go to our Twitter, um, just look look up at Probably Science. I just uh, included a link to their Kickstarter. There are just a couple 
like a thousand out of twenty thousand dollars shy of their goal to make an even bigger one that'll it's I think it shoots like twenty foot lightning bolts and everyone wow. stands in cages around it. Yeah, because I saw some oh, footage of the awesome. one last year and I was thinking, yeah, it's fine, but it's a little bit kind of it's a bit of a pussy <laughs> lightning m- musical instrument machine. Yeah, this version is going to be insane and uh, looks super dangerous, but they they assure that everything's properly shielded and there's no, <laughs> no possible way that you standing in that cage would get electrocuted. So I wonder how many people have died at Burning Man so far. One last year, but um, 70,000 people. Like If you had a city of that size in the course of a week, yeah. probably well, one person. Well, they do that at Glastonbury every year. Yeah. Like Every year after the Glastonbury Festival, some newspaper kind of goes, there were 15 arrests. And then you look at it and go, well, there's almost a quarter of a million people. That's right. the size of a small city. Yeah. Um, and most of those arrests were for petty theft or drug offenses. So you sort of go like, if if you were the police chief in a city of that size over a five-day long weekend, you would be delighted to only have 14, 15 right. arrests yeah. for mostly minor crimes. Seriously, yeah. It's a numbers That's a good game. Drennan, uh, um, we always ask, I guess, this before we get into the story. What... Mm-hmm. Uh, stories even. What, if anything, is your background in science? Um, okay, so um, I actually come from like a a family of scientists, so I'm kind of like the, uh, I don't know, like the black sheep of, of the family in that way, just because, uh, I mean, I love science. It's um, But yeah, like my grandpa was an inventor. Um, he invented all kinds of crazy shit. Wait, 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 wait. No <laughs> one is an inventor. It's one of those jobs that you're told is a job when you're a kid, but then you grow up and realize that's not I a know, thing. I know, I <laughs> know. You're not a salaried inventor. Like, what? what he was they? like a mad scientist. He looked like a fucking mad scientist. <laughs> Do you remember any of his inventions? Oh, yeah. Uh, he invented <laughs> the thickness of Heinz ketchup. He invented an attribute of a fluid. <laughs> yes. he's a. He was a chemist in Berkeley um, okay. in the 60s, and he was like... He was like friends with like Timothy Leary and like say. all these people, yeah, and uh, yeah. So that was one, um, like the first, like you know the the Brita water filter pitchers. It wasn't Brita, but he invented the first one of those. Um, what? Yeah, yeah. He was super smart dude. And these was he working at you know the equivalent of some like Bell Labs kind of thing, or just in a garage with an automatic toaster that's hooked up to his. He had dog's his own collar? lab. Yeah, he had his own lab, and you know, like all these different companies. I mean, sometimes it was like you know the government like wanted. It was sometimes it was evil shit like a missile or something. <laughs> um, but uh, for the most part, so it was is- like he was cool. Like the end of his his career, he uh, he was all in like alternative energy basically so like he was really in a cold fusion stuff for a while what yeah what's his name is he googleable uh james patterson i'm sure he's googleable yeah um that's great and then my mom was his assistant for a long time um is the patterson power cell his invention there's an extensive wikipedia page for this (laughs) damn an electrical assist device to okay invented by chemist james a patterson yep it's one of several cells that some observers classified as cold fusion, cells which were the subject of an intense scientific controversy back in 89. Right. Before being discredited. Um, what is he? Is he still alive? No, he, he died, uh, let's see, four years ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear it. Did I ever? Uh, no, I mean, he, he was working up till the day he died. Um, and uh, he had some people, like, take over his, his, uh, his work, and they kind of mysteriously died. What? Yeah, like this. Uh, it was like him and then this this uh, French dude. I forget his name. We're kind of working on the same stuff. I, I don't know. Like my mom seems to think some foul. Holy shit! Yeah, oh, this on. is the I... most interesting answer we've ever had to the question about a guest science backup. This is yeah. So, so many things I want to know here. Cause, yeah, cause totally. This, There's yeah. Because so, the the cell that's been mentioned here. Hang on, I can't see anything about whether it is a legit whether it's actually a proven successful cell or whether it was sitting in the realm of conjecture. Yeah, I mean, cold fusion is definitely one of those things where people weren't sure if it ever worked. I mean, he was able to get a certain amount of energy out of it. Uh Not a ton, but enough for him to keep going with it. But obviously it never crossed some point where it violated some fundamental rules of... uh conservation of energy or of uh you know it's not some like infinite uh what's the term for those um perpetual motion machine equivalent you know it's not oh, something right. like that where he, he got more than so, got out of it more than he put into it so it does say Patterson right. has carefully distanced himself from the work of fleischmann and pons and from the label of cold fusion due to the negative connotations associated to them since 1989 yeah uh 
so did this occupy pretty much all of his later years then, or was he also making Oh, he was making tons of stuff. Sort of I mean, he was, like, doing everything from that to, like, coming up with new, like, he was a fisher, so, like, he'd come up with, like, new fishing hook patterns and stuff like that. It seems like, like this is very yeah. controversial, this cell. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, totally. Cold fusion super controversial. But, it's, yeah, it seems like it has been at least semi-discredited, but I can't... Yeah, 89, I remember that year being big. Uh, I remember the cover stories in Time about Cold Fusion. Mm-hmm. That was definitely one of the big... Did right. I, did I and he t- wasn't the one to, like, first find it. There was, you know, he was just kind of, like, this know, wasn't continuing the it. Cold Fusion in a Jar thing that everybody no, was... No, not that one. Did I ever tell you about the scientist in my family? Oh, sorry, the inventor, rather? No. Something uh, if I, I mentioned this on a previous I'm show, am I... sure. Because uh, my, my uncle was doing our family tree. Uh-huh. Uh, and so he sat down with great uncle Sam just before he died, uh, and went through the entire, you know, everything he remembered of the family to make notes. And and like a good hour or two in, he was, uh, uncle Sam was like, oh, now this man, this man was a famous inventor. And my uncle was like, what, what did he invent? And great uncle Sam said, uh, he invented the cupboard. (laughs) 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 All right. So is everything bullshit? Have you just been lying? (laughs) Has... (laughs) <laughs> He's just been listening to the, the lies of an old man for an hour and a half. <laughs> he invented he invented medium Pepsi. What? <laughs> the first person to think of putting a door on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So does he still have? Does uh, your grandfather have patents and things you can look up? I'm sure a lot of patents. Yeah, he. I mean, that was his whole his whole job. I mean, he was a very very creative man. I mean, kind of like my idol growing up um just because that's he you know like he's he's had like a lot of high and low moments um you know where you know like millions and millions of dollars living in a great place and then he, i think he was bankrupt like three times in his life like just a terrible businessman but like incredibly creative and inventive did you ever go into his labs or his offices and totally. see what he was doing did he try to show you in oh, detail yeah. what he showed me like all of the yeah like all of the uh, the energy stuff and uh, there's like Heinz bottles like everywhere in the fucking lab. It's just like there's just so much crap there. Like he's never cleaned it and yeah. I think it took like many weeks for them to like clear out that lab when he died. What if they found some super secret shit that was like world changing after that? Be- I mean, he was like he was like towards the end of his life. He was like it, it was interesting because like he was like really into you know. Um, different just ma- mainly the energy crisis that we had yeah. like because he wanted he really wanted to solve that because that's that's fucking huge that's like the biggest yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. um but you know he was also you know because i mean the whole cold fusion is uh you know like you guys were saying it's very controversial and um he there was had- a, there was part of him that you know believed in a lot of like alchemy and stuff like that no shit yeah really? yeah well, that's what happened to newton right you, like, <laughs> you get smart enough eventually you want to just make some gold <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, right. uh but it looks like he has a chapter in a book called Biochemical Aspects of Reactions on Solid Supports. And his chapter is entitled, unless it's a different James Patterson, this is 1971. And there's a chapter attributed to a James A. Patterson entitled Preparation of Cross-Linked Polystyrenes and Their Derivatives for Use as Solid Supports or Insoluble Reagents. Right. So he, he was really into plastics, too. Like, he uh, was one of the guys that really got into that. Oh, what, a really cool thing he invented was, like... Um, like liquid band-aids basically like liquid scabs like you know and it was mainly for hospitals and um uh professional sports like yeah. when they injured themselves and like they they just needed to get to them be, right. out there and coagulate the blood as quickly as possible yeah they, they still i mean don't people sometimes just use traditional super glues to do things like yeah, totally. they glue calluses back together uh, yeah they yeah. use super glue totally for wounds and it um it's quite effective it yeah. just like it yeah, it just seals the wound, and then once the skin's grown back, it just sort of falls out. Yeah. yeah. So his was like more of like a sand kind of thing, almost like that you put on. I don't think it ever caught on because it was not the nicest looking thing. It looked like just even a bigger scab, basically. And um, it wouldn't help in in the long run. The scarring, the scarring wasn't lessened or something. Like oh yeah, no scarring or anything. Oh, like, oh. So it was great in that way. Yeah. But it just looked gross in the interim. It just looked pretty gross, yeah. So then, growing up with him as your grandfather, did your or did he were your parents also in the sciences or? Yeah, so my mom was really into the sciences and was basically uh, his. She was his right hand woman for a long time, um, and then my cousin got into it, um, and then yeah, he died like in his thirties, crazy, like 
aneurysm on a fucking treadmill in his 30s. Wait a minute. There's something at play here. I think there's something to this. (laughs) What what if this is the most massive conspiracy of all time? What if Big big Cole... I don't know. I don't know. The way that, like, his, his... He had basically this dude named Alf who, like continued his work like afterwards and the way he died was just super weird like it was just like he was fine health and like was really starting to get somewhere and then suddenly just dies like it was it was very, um, it was really this is very suspicious all this is very very suspicious it yeah. makes me think that your grandfather Nothing did get cold fusion working yeah who knows he was definitely onto it though uh yeah so other than that um i don't mean my brother were, like always into science because of that um yeah but I think uh, we were a little bit more into the arts. But it seems like you're a tinkerer. I mean, you, you're incredibly creative, but the things that you were able to do with equipment and your act, like we haven't described much of what your act is these days, but it's very elaborate and musical and right. hilarious. And uh, like it, you use loops and various effects. Or how would you describe, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, I guess like, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's like musical sketch comedy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's by myself, so it's like one man sketch. Sometimes it's with, you know, uh, Karen Kilgariff or, or Nick Stargue. Like, it worked with like a few different people. Um, I'm going to have to stop you right there because, Andy, you've had a fly just walking across the top of your head for the last minute and <laughs> it just, it's Is very it distracting. It's gone. Okay, it's just cool, gone. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so yeah, I guess that's what I would call it. Um, but yeah, I guess like I kind of definitely like was super inspired by him and like his inventiveness and like, I don't know, his advice to me always was like, just make sure you're having fun. Like that, that was basically what he told me on his deathbed was just make sure whatever you're doing, just make sure you're having fun. Cause life's too short. That's great. Yeah. And your parents aren't mad that you took that to heart. Oh, not at all. Like my mom was super supportive. My dad like would worry about me, but then once he's saw that i knew what i was doing he like kind of eased up a bit was that moment just conan recently or was it before that oh no i think it was the first time i uh headlined the purple onion back in the day um and that was cool because you know my grand my grandma used to like always go and like watch like phyllis diller there back in the day oh that's incredible yeah so i think that was so you grew up in the bay area yeah yeah well the bay and lake tahoe and santa cruz oh hi it was like three of my favorite spots in the entire country yeah yeah they're great. Well, Santa Cruz and Tahoe, I think, are better places to visit. They're be- the, the natural beauty there is probably uh, greater than the humanity beauty. Yes. <laughs> right? Like Santa Cruz. Just so many like, bros, you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. But both incredible. I'm, I'm a surfer, so Santa Cruz is like one of my favorite spots. It's a ever. great place yeah. to surf, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, pretty much California, though. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then how, how about you, you guys? You you grew up in California? No, I grew up in Michigan, and then I found my way out to San Francisco during the first dot com boom, and then oh, I crazy. moved to Portland in two thousand one and was there for almost ten years. Hey, Drennan, if huh. you grew up in uh, California, you're probably very aware of the San Andreas Fault. Yeah, and, I've heard of it. And the neighboring uh, San, how do you pronounce that? Jacinto Fault. Is it J A C I N T O? Yep. I guess Jacinto, if you're going Spanish. Yeah, uh, I actually don't know that one. Um, all the fault. Yeah, why? What's going on? Are we are we preparing for well, an earthquake? The, well, no, but there's a load of balancing rocks near the San Andreas Fault, and they've never been like fairly like huge rocks, like human size and bigger, uh, that are just balancing on their end, and they've never been toppled by an earthquake. Whoa. And scientists are like, why has that never happened? So, well, here's a little story in the BBC site that might explain it. Uh, there's a decades-long study that concludes that quakes can stop or jump due to interactions between the two neighboring faults. Models show these interactions sent the biggest vibrations around the rock stacks, leaving them intact. Uh, but the connected nature of the faults has implications for quake planning. The study of previously balanced rocks was begun in the 1990s by Jim Brune, now emeritus professor at the University of Nevada and co-author of the new paper, Uh, he realized that these rocks could be a check on seismic hazard maps and give long-term indications of ground shaking, says the study's lead author, Professor Lisa Grant Ludwig, at the University of California in Irvine. They're kind of natural seismoscopes, but you have to read them indirectly. They don't tell you an earthquake happened. They tell you an earthquake strong enough to knock me down did not happen. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. So yeah, something either didn't happen or somehow skipped around me. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, uh, balancing rocks generally not seen within 15 kilometers of major faults. But 10 years ago, Professor Brune and his colleagues found two sizable collections of such stones just 7 to 10 kilometers from the San Andreas and San Jacinto Fault in the San Bernardino Mountains of California. 
Hang on. Here's a picture of them. Look at that. Look at that big, big old standing on his end rock. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the new study, due to be brought, published in the journal Seismological Research Letters, they always put letters at the end of some of these journals. Why can't I just leave it at Seismological Research? Yeah. This makes it sound like it's more casual correspondence. <laughs> uh, important, uh, these rocks were carefully catalogued and measured, and the team calculated how much force it would take to tip each of them over. Uh, there were two methods of doing that, one of which is actually trying to tip the thing, which <laughs> said Professor Ludwig, which meant some surprisingly nerve-wracking field work, gently pushing the rocks until there was some movement, but not actually tipping them over. <laughs> Would you classify how hard you push this as pretty hard or <laughs> super hard? Uh, if my mother had known I was doing that, she would not be happy, says Professor Ludwig, presumably quite an old man. You never want to be on the downhill side when you tip it. Uh, the second super model... hard science. Yeah. The second model... Didn't some people get in trouble recently for tipping over like a famous rock? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. people in like 30s. Um, there was like a, yeah, it's like a, a revered big stone rock and some fuckwits on a hike just went. Like, yeah, put, I feel shut, like it was it over. Um, in, in like Moab. It's some national park in Utah, some place that's like a famous, balanced, yeah. naturally balanced thing. Some guy's like, let's knock it over, take pictures, <laughs> put it on yeah, Instagram. But they weren't even like, they weren't even like kids or no, drug no, hillbillies. Yeah, no, they were like, they were just like fully grown adults who were drunk. There's like beer cans. Yeah, they were like yeah, businessmen yeah. basically yeah. on a hike who thought who. If you can't trust traveling businessmen to do things like not tip over rocks and not shoot famous lions, like right. Uh, sorry, what you say, John? I was just thinking, like those are the kind of hikers that bring cocaine with them. <laughs> <laughs> like, the perfect hiking drug. <laughs> the exact wrong drug for the activity. Yeah. Uh, you know what we need? Aggression and anxiety. <laughs> I could really do with this majesty of nature being seen a bit more on edge. Yeah. Let's and also instant craving for more of a thing that we can't get because we're out in the desert. <laughs> yes. yeah. I think, yeah, that's really, the vast beauty of this really demands us be more talkative. I would love this sunset if my teeth were grinding harder. <laughs> yes. uh, the second model for rocks too dangerous or difficult to tip was photo modeling, using views from multiple angles to build a 3D model of the balanced stone and calculate its center of gravity, mass, and so on. Isn't the center of gravity the same as the center of mass? I thought it was. Oh, okay, hang on. I get it. Center of gravity, comma, mass, and so on. Not center of gravity and center of mass. Oh, yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, I mean, technically it's not, but it depends on... It effectively is. I would think they're in the same place, even if the concept... Yeah, it's close enough. Uh, For a static object in a... Staying in one place, then I'm sure... Yeah. I like the brute force one better. Yeah, it seems like a more fun job to have. So it sounds like the article doesn't even give a great explanation of what causes these jumps, these stepovers, where the rupture can not affect things that it should that are nearby. But I wonder if it's kind of yeah. like a standing wave, you know, in something like a node in a vibration. I'm not sure. Yeah, but they I'm said sure uh, if the rupture jumped across or al- alternatively stopped at that junction or started at that junction, um, that would produce lower ground shaking in the area where they found the rocks. So they still don't explain how that jumping happens but it's an interesting phenomenon hmm yeah the, the both these models by the way according along with some shake table simulations show the rock should have fallen over during quakes as recent as 1812 and 1857 um yeah look at uh look at this one like that, another rock just balanced on top of another rock just oh, wow. really precarious seeming um, what's the takeaway from this Drennan, what's your escape plan if and when the big one hits? I guess I'm just going to build a house on those rocks. Right? That's the thing. It's like yeah. They've kind of shown you where to build. Um, the bigger concern right now is the dozens of wildfires all across the state, though, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. The center of gravity and the center of mass are the same in a uniform gravitational field. All right. As opposed to... Uh, if the object enters a spatially varying gravitational field, the center of gravity will move closer to regions of the object in a stronger field. I, mean, I guess that makes yeah. The center of mass can't is a, is a fundamental characteristic of the object, and not about forces. Whoa, that's the loudest thing that's ever happened on the podcast. Normally, because we have really cheap, shitty mics, normally no sound gets picked up on them apart from us talking. Yeah, I'm sure that. And sometimes not it. even that. Um. Uh, did you guys hear about um, the blood transfusion between like uh, young and old mice and like, no. how it's like actually making them more youthful? 
And we, did we talk about that on a different show? It doesn't. I just read about it today, but it's um, it's pretty fascinating. It's like this could change a lot of things. Like Young Blood. Young Blood. Let me see if I can. Yeah, find... it's like a science fiction movie. Young Blood renews old mice. This is from a year ago, so maybe we did, and I forgot I think about the sto- it. I think the trial was started a year ago, and now they're getting results now. Fascinating. Could the elixir of youth be as simple as a protein found in young blood? In recent years, researchers studying mice found that giving old animals blood from young ones can reverse some signs of aging. And last year, which would be 2013, one team identified a growth factor in the blood that they think is partly responsible for the anti-aging effect on the heart. Cool. Right? Yeah. It's kind of big. It's kind of big. It kind of seems too good to be true. It's kind of been the week of stories that seem a little bit too good to be true. Speaking of cold fusion, um, have you heard much about the, quote, impossible rocket drive? No. This has been, we've discussed this a couple times on the show, and uh, it's it's an EM drive that violates the fundamental rules of physics. (laughs) This feels like the kind of thing that, again, you sort of go, like, someone's come up with it in his shed, and, like, I've solved space travel, except it's one of NASA's departments that are involved in this. Yeah, and... And yet... There's, there have been some, there hasn't been a ton of peer review, but, but supposedly this has been a controlled experiment that's shown, basically we're able to generate propulsion without any mass. Like the fundamental rules of anything, any forces always come in pairs, right? Like one of the, was that Newton's third? That is Newton's third law, yeah. put an opposite. So if you want to go somewhere or something else has to, if you want to accelerate one direction, something else that has some mass has to accelerate in the other direction, um, which is why, you know, rockets have to have giant boosters because you have to be thrusting some fuel behind you. But supposedly, this something thing, has to be pushed in the opposite direction. Right. What did I say? Or yeah, there has to be yeah. something that has some mass that is leaving in the opposite direction or being accelerated in the opposite direction. Um, and we talked about this before, and this picture looks way too much like somebody's steampunk creation to be any kind of real science. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's pretty badass looking. But um, yeah, it looks like like this also plays music. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> supposedly, this this EM drive could. Um, get us to the point that we could make a, a trip to the moon in, was it four minutes, four hours? Four hours. Yes, that makes more sense. Wow. Um, That's still very quick. Still super quick. That's incredible. And it was developed by British inventor Roger, Roger Scheuer nearly 15 years ago, but it was ridiculed at the time as being scientifically impossible. Maybe Roger, was he a friend of your grandfather's? Not Maybe that I know have, of. Seems like they would have broke out. Um, so yeah, it produces thrust by using solar power to generate multiple microwaves that move back and forth in an enclosed chamber. That means that until something fails or wears down, theoretically the engine could keep running forever without the need for rocket fuel. Whenever we try to get into this, uh, the terminology always sounds like something someone made up for a sci-fi movie. Like every word just hits every possible like buzzword button for what... Uh, okay, so the... They propose that the EM drive's thrust is due to virtual part- virtual particles in the quantum vacuum that behave like propellant ions in magneto-hydrodynamical propulsion systems. What does that mean, Captain? Yeah. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> Extracting, quote, fuel from the very fabric of space-time and eliminating the need to carry propellant, which, again, it violates fundamental rules. Um, and while a number of scientists criticize this theoretical model, others feel that uh, it's at least pointing in the right direction. The NASA spaceflight website and forums have emerged as unofficial news sources. Have have emerged as unofficial news source and discussion space for all things related to the EM drive and related breakthrough space propulsion proposals. Um, so Scheuer has often been dismissed for not having peer-reviewed scientific publications, but uh, White and Tajmar, who are scientists at NASA Eagle Works. Which, again, uh, sounds like something from a sci-fi film. Of course, <laughs> of course. They have impeccable credentials that put them beyond cheap dismissal and scorn. And uh, physics being an experimental science, the fact that this EM drive works is confirmed in the lab. And that's the first time that someone with a well-equipped lab and strong background in tracking experimental error has been involved, rather than engineers who may be unconsciously influenced by a desire to see it work. So, supposedly it works in this, in this controlled experiment. Uh, they need to do more tests to um, study the magnetic interaction of the power feeding lines used for the liquid metal contacts. And um, nevertheless, they do observe thrusts close to the magnitude of the actual predictions after eliminating many possible error sources. So I, I don't know. It's still, I, I asked our, our guest two weeks ago, Deepak Srinivasan, a friend of mine who worked on the New Horizons Pluto flyby, and his response was less than optimistic. Uh, he didn't want to be too dismissive out of hand, but he said that. Um, 
Let's see. It looks like magic. Not sure if this is real. Looks like there have been some uncontrolled experiments trying to prove or disprove this. I have no idea how the phys physics would work if this is in fact real. And the claim that this quote works is still an overstatement, not to sound curmudgeonly, but more substantial evidence needs to be produced before this is considered real engineering. And I guess my question is, uh, it does violate fundamental rules of Newtonian physics, but so does relativity, right? So is this just possible we've found another place where at certain scales the rules don't apply like i have no idea anything's but, possible if you just put your mind thank to it. you <laughs> what about a spaceship powered takeaway. by the human brain imagination <laughs> if we just use the 90 percent that no thank one uses you. finally if we could just use the rest of <laughs> if everyone would stop just doing 10 percent brain work it's fun to believe though i mean i love those stories you know yeah, I mean, and even like the most hardcore scientists, like you know, like my grandpa, like they want to believe that shit, you know. It still just doesn't make any sense what you're exactly thrusting out behind you that makes you move, but right. um, something about quantum vacuums. And yeah, you can make the trip to a moon of Saturn in uh, in three years. They said, and and the the probe to to Pluto would have gotten there in eighteen months instead of ten years. So it's not a warp drive. Like some articles are saying, it's. A warp drive implying like getting close to or exceeding the speed of light it's not about that it's just about the fact that it can generate thrust without having to carry anything that has mass as fuel so it would be a complete game changer but still doesn't seem possible yet i don't know <laughs> i like pretty it pretty neat though no thoughts on that yeah yeah i don't know yeah i love I, yeah no like no jokes on that no yet it's not i, mean, all, it's I don't not want, i don't want to be here. the guy making fun of that and then it ends up being like you know, I think. Oh yeah, it would be it'd be incredible. Yeah, I want to live in that world. Totally. That's a thing. I guess it probably wouldn't be as useful uh, on Earth. I'm guessing because it's probably like sure. the kind of thing where you don't really need a huge acceleration when you're out in space. You just need a constant acceleration for a while, and then you can get going pretty damn fast. Matt, do you have a story for us? Uh, yeah, I'm jumping between a few different stories, but. I quite like, we're a fan of bonobo stories. Of course. Oh, yeah. Of course. I Being into our bonobos. Yeah, I love them. Uh, and here's a, new, here's a new bonobo story. Uh, while bonobos use a single high-pitched call in a variety of contexts, showing a flexibility in their communication that was thought to be uniquely human. Hmm. It's a hint at an earlier speech evolution than previously thought. Uh, this is the conclusion of a study by UK and Swiss psychologists. Bonobos are just as closely related to humans as chimpanzees. Uh, that's slightly ambiguous. They are as closely related to humans as chimpanzees are related to humans. Although he bonobos and chimpanzees are closer related, if sure. that makes sense. Uh, but their wild communication is much less studied than chimps. Uh, researchers say that new findings push back the development of context-free vocal calls to our shared ancestors with bonobos six to ten million years ago. Uh, the paper is published in the journal Peer J. Uh, for a long time, it was assumed that non-human primates, including great apes like chimpanzees and bonobos, could only communicate using calls that were tied to specific emotional states, such as screaming an alarm or barking for aggression. Uh, using a single vocal signal in multiple contexts, referred to as functional flexibility, was thought to be a human ability and something we developed very, very early. Babies as young as three to four months, for example, have been, have been shown to use squeals and growls along a wide range of situations whether they are happy, distressed, or neutral. They, these sit along other noises that are obviously tied to particular emotions, such as crying and laughing. Uh, Dr. Zanef Play from the University of Birmingham noticed a similar phenomenon among the bonobos she was studying in the Democratic Republic of Congo. As well as the usual screams, barks, pants, and grunts, she heard a particular squeaking sound or peep being used all over the place. It seemed very flexible, Dr. Clay told BBC News. In basically every context you can imagine a bonobo experiencing... They peep. So he collected recordings of peeps produced in many different contexts, uh, working with colleagues from the University of um, Neuchatel in Switzerland. Dr. Clay found the peeps used in several different positive or neutral situations, such as feeding or traveling, were acoustically identical, just as she has suspected. This is important because the meaning of the peeps must be determined partly from their context, whether that is other calls delivered in sequence or other things the bonobos are doing. So this means that in the world of bonobos, peep is like the word smurf for smurfs. Yeah. Like it can mean <laughs> anything, but you have to be listening for context. Yeah, yeah, it can exactly. Be a noun, a verb. You mean like you smurf supposed to be? Right. Adjective with a Y at the end. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it just makes me think of like how they always say that like in communication, you know, it's mostly like 
you know, tone and, and, uh, and body language. Oh, in communication, it's always tone. Yeah, in communication, it's always tone. <laughs> oh, in communication, it's always tone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it just kind of makes me think of that and like how you could just say it like so many different ways, the same word. Um, that's cool. Bonobos are fucking fascinating. They're so fascinating. I feel like we could learn so much from them. They love to bone. They just they love. love to bone, and they're like so much more peaceful. And you know the the women are the ones in charge. Yeah, we actually uh, listeners who haven't dug into our back catalog should go back to last September when we had bonobo expert Dr. Amy Parrish on for a live episode oh, awesome. with Tim Minchin. Yeah, it was fascinating. I'll she describes herself as a Darwinian feminist um, based on the fact that yeah, this animal that's as closely related to us as chimpanzees has a pretty much matriarchal culture and one where um sexuality is pretty fluid and and used not just for procreation but for all kinds of social bonding and yeah and bonobos are very understudied because uh compared to chimps because they're far less prevalent and they tend to be native to places that are harder to get to Mm -hmm. like less dramatic yeah we're always so like attracted to drama uh yeah, it's true. Bonobos aren't tearing people like right. kids' faces <laughs> off. Um, so Dr. Townsend pointed out the implications for, bonob- for the bonobos' cognitive abilities in terms of understanding the peeps. Non-human primates seem to have quite good pragmatic inference abilities, and they need these as a way to differentiate the meaning of the calls. Uh, this is the same ability that humans used, he explained, to figure out whether the word bow refers to a knot or a weapon. Um... This study suggests that something similar might be going on because the peep produced in the positive context is more or less the same as the peep produced in the neutral context. And therefore, because the receiver can't use acoustic structure to determine meaning, they have to use other cues. So it's not even like we were doing just then where the same sentence... It's not the same tone. sentence. It's the exact... It's said the same way, but it's about what's around it. Yeah, it's yeah. about the context. Oh, okay. Which is even more... I sophisticated. can't do an impression of that right now. <laughs> so it's sort of like these peeps are... Is it homophones? Homophones and nims, I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, and for the, and it, yeah, so the bonobos are deducing from the context what that means, whether it's delight or neutral or upset. Wow. The bonobos never disappoint. Seriously. They're always... Fascinating, endlessly fascinating. You know what else is always fascinating to our listeners, at least? This always captures the the hearts of, of everybody listening to the show. Is uh, 3D printing for some reason everyone is fascinated with? Have mm-hmm. you ever played around with a 3D printer? I have, yeah. I was, um, I don't know if I can talk. Well, I won't say what studio it was, but I was, I was working on a sh- show where they, it, it's like a science fiction studio, and they had one, and they were like making all kinds of cool shit with it. Like they're 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 very cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if we could get one of those uh, on the cheap, that'd be pretty badass. But again, whenever it comes up, I'm always like, I'm not sure what exactly I would do with it, but I just want to have one. Uh, yeah, it turns out love. something good you could do with it is make some 3D printed pharmaceuticals. What? Yeah, yeah and the first, uh, drugs using uh, 3D printing technology have gotten the okay from the FDA. Um, wow. Yeah, this is a story sent in by listener. We haven't put the full name there. Oh, there you go. It was... Uh, Juliet Cantu. Yes. And, yeah, Juliet says, uh, uh, who works in a related field. So Juliet says, this opens the door for some power shifts in the, prediction, in the prescription drug market, particularly regarding uh, generics, which have skyrocketed in, um, skyrocketed in cost in the U.S. over recent years. Yeah. Uh, that's to say nothing of how much it could help patients' outcomes or medication compliance. Patients who take a large prescription cocktails daily might only have to keep track of one or two pills a day with the pills being tailor-made by either their physicians or pharmacists. It also creates a safer environment for the personnel who manufacture and handle certain prescription drugs, as there are some that cause health risk with extended, extended exposure. I got uh, an idea. How about um, uh, gloves? Maybe you put on some gloves if you're handling drugs all day, if you're a pharmacist. No, no I, think, I think there's something Artisanal about... Artisanal pharmacists who just really want to get their hands in the powder. Right. Yeah, there's something about the way it's put together. It's like sushi chefs or whatever. The right, only, right. You have to really feel it. And also, I believe... I could be wrong about this. I, I remember reading somewhere that the only way to effectively transfer the completed pills into the bottle is you, with your mouth. Okay, just like baby bird style? Yeah, yeah. You've got to sort of like hands behind your back and... <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, on August 3rd, Apresia Pharmaceuticals announced that the U.S. FDA approved its Spritam drug for the treatment of epilepsy, and the company claims that that is the first drug ever approved that is manufactured using 3D printing. And by combining that technology with a highly prescribed epilepsy treatment, it's designed to fill a need for patients who struggle with their current medication experience. Uh, it's the first in a line of central nervous system products they plan to introduce, and um, it's meant to be customized for high dosage treatments and was developed with a precious zip dose technology. They say that the tablet's made by printing layers of the powdered drug, binding the layers of powder together, and then blowing away the excess powder. And the advantage of that process is that the drug's unique structure allows it to dissolve faster than it would in a regular pill. Yeah, I was listening just on the way over to one of the people from the company talking about this. And yeah, it's sort of, it's almost like little, because it's made up of little granules just held together. Mm-hmm. Um, al- almost the second it's on the tongue and then water is added, it just disappears. Oh. So it's substantially, wow. substantially easier for people to swallow. Like those Listerine breath strips, those are the best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also means, I guess, um, uh, as Juliet was pointing out, you could eventually be in a position where, say, you need f- to take five different pills a day. Mm-hmm. That could be just combined into a single pill. Oh, yeah. You're just making your entire cocktail for the day. I mean, but hopefully not at home. You're still going somewhere, but they have the printer at the pharmacy. Yeah, I, w- I just wouldn't want it to get to the point that like you could pour in the wrong... Uh, packets in the back of your printer in the wrong order and you know if you run out of like the equivalent of black ink but now it means you're going to die of epilepsy uh, because it's trying <laughs> to make it out of red green and blue there is a there's a little demonstration here of it being one of these pills being put into water uh on on the site yeah and it's just sweet and that's at half speed it just instantly disappears neck they've put it next to a a fast melting drug, an over the counter fast melting drug, and it's just. But do you want ah, it's just sat there dissolving in, a puzzle. in your mouth yeah, instantly? No, it's going to taste awful. Totally. You I mean, to, might as well just it. get like a potion if that's what you're going to, you know, because you're basically just going to be drinking it. I don't know. Maybe uh, the little caplets stay intact. The, like, the little particles stay intact so it still yeah. doesn't fully. As long as it doesn't taste horrid, which I would. I feel like if anything, anything medical dissolves in your mouth, it's going to taste like shit. But yeah. I could be wrong. Well, then you just put like the the cherry stuff in the uh, in the printer, and, and it's fine. Right, you just add some <laughs> Snoopy snow cone machine flavoring. Did you guys ever have Snoopy snow cone yes. machines? I didn't know if I was maybe older than. Uh, I remember those. Pretty great. Yeah, you yeah. just got to you got to grind that thing forever. And it just shaves off. You put big ass ice cubes down the chimney and then turn a. We had the same thing, but it wasn't Snoopy. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like Mr. Frosty, I think it was. <laughs> Is that even a character? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm going to look this up. Uh. But I remember I I didn't have one. But my friend did, and I was very jealous. And every time we got, oh god, what have you guys been to Good Times at Davy Wayne's yet? Mm. Oh, it's the best. What is it? It's a bar over in Hollywood. It's a '70s theme bar, and it's one of these uh, pseudo speakeasies that's so hot right now. Like when you walk in, it looks like you're just going into a garage. At the end of the garage, there's an old school refrigerator. And as the guy IDs you, he's like, hey, welcome. Beer's in the fridge. You open it, and that's the door to the actual place. You walk oh, through the refrigerator. Kind of stuff. And it's just decked out like someone's basement from the 70s. And it's done really well. Like, it sounds cheesy, but it's a blast. And they have alcoholic snow cones. That's Isn't awesome. Chasey Coakley somehow involved in it? Or? I don't think so. This no. is it. Hey, Mr. Frosty, made by Hasbro. I wasn't making it up. Homemade slush puppies. There you go. Not a Snoopy in sight. None of your peanuts proprietary bullshit. <laughs> Check out this, though. Look, all the characters there. Snoopy's on top oh, of the chimney. You put the ice down there. Yeah. The shaved stuff comes out there. Yeah, you fancy Americans with your consumerism. Oh, yeah, that's, and you put, the, you put the different, like, sugar water in the snowman that has the little nozzle on the top of his hat. That's how you flavor it after you make the... No wonder we're snowman. so hard to please now. We have to have these, like, theme bars and stuff. Yeah, it's but it. Have you been in No Vacancy? Have you guys been to that one? No, what's that? Oh, okay. So that's right on Hollywood Boulevard too, and it's like you go. It looks just like a house, and you know, uh, you go in and you go up these stairs, and there's like three doors, and they look like old school like PI doors, right? And like uh-huh. the first two are locked, so you open up the last one, and I remember I I took um my friend Nick and uh, Joel and Nick goes in there and he's not from here so and it was his birthday and he goes in and he immediately walks out and he's like what did you guys get me and then we go in and there's a a woman just in lingerie like kind of like just straddled on the bed right and we're like yeah and we're like what is this and then she like close she's like close the door no there's two rules no flash photography 
and have fun. And then she like pulls a book and then like the bed just like goes down in this like no, basement no, this opens. Is, this is not. This is a real no thing. This is a real thing. It's a real thing. And then it's just like this cool house that's got like a big like barbecue backyard and stuff. And it's just like a house they turned into like a really cool bar. It's legal. So we're not outing a place that's like an actual speakeasy. No, no. no. These places are on Yelp. Yeah, like, when, these, there's no actual speakeasies, I feel no, like. Of course not. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there were some in Portland. There were some people that were doing like home bars that were unofficial things, but they weren't allowed to charge money. I think LA uh, does have some. There are some real after hours venues right. that aren't official. I feel like most of them just feel that way. Like 1642. Have you guys been to that one? Um, feels like Pirates of the Caribbean inside. No. It's like, it's hard to find. What's the one that Jeremy used to be, used to have a club night in? Jeremy Burke had a club night and you go through a wardrobe. That, I think that's, I think that's no vacancy. Oh, okay. I think I have been there then. Okay. And then every so often they'd have like a burlesque show of people coming down the stairs. Yeah. I don't know. I've never seen that, but I believe it. At Hotel Juniper? It says, so is it always packed? No, uh, no one knows about it. <laughs> it sounds like it's really you said it's not an actual. Yeah, none of the pictures are showing this lady on the bed, which is uh, the bed actually moves. You're saying? Yeah, it seems like so such a huge it, like, it hassle moves for upkeep. And then there's steps that go down. Yeah, it's great. It's like uh, something a, you would see in Clue. If there's a fire, you better hope the bed just moves on its own. Yeah, so right. Everyone can okay. I'm going. Yeah, you should go. You should go check it out. out. I mean, it's very like it's in the the heart of Hollywood, so it's kind of you know douchey in that way but it looks like it's trying to have i think like, i actually saw the guy from uh twilight there whatever his name is the smelly one the the vampire one yeah don't they say he's super smelly oh i don't know I think i've heard like he and christopher walken i've heard of like the two smelly oh really it's funny because yeah. they kind of look like they each do. other <laughs> yeah. uh hey you know what isn't hidden what's not hidden Matt? uh the donation button on our website that's oh, true it's very good visible. call uh, and some people have taken uh made good use of it and we thank you very much, Quipsource. Uh, thank you, Brooks Gilmore. These are all monthly donations, by the way. These are all ongoing, renewed monthly donations. Matthew Arnold, uh, Robert Howley, uh, Madison Martinez. And thank you in particular, Anderson Jones. And thank you particularly in particular, Justin Broad, uh, for your very generous monthly donation. Uh, so thank you, all of you. If you want to donate, you can go to probablyscience.com and hit the donate button. That helps us yep. keep this thing running. If you're buying anything on Amazon, you can also click on the link there and go shop as normal. It costs you no extra. We get a kickback. Why not set your bookmark on your website to Makes be to our me. Amazon link, and then you never have to remember. And the other thing you can do if you really want to help us out is just spread the word. Tell loads and loads of people. Um... Let them know about our show. Uh, tweet about it. Facebook. Social media it up. Tell people in person. Hey, you might know someone who's going like, what's the deal with this podcast thing I keep hearing about? And you could go, well, hey, uh, it's like a radio program, but it's on the internet, and you download it straight into your telephone, and let me explain that to you with the use of my favorite one, probably science. It's, it's, it's a perfect win-win. Yeah. Spread the word. And also, if you want to... Uh talk more friends into finding out what podcasts are they can come see over 30 of them live in los angeles on september 18th through 20th at the la podcast festival where we are performing as our people like pod uh, pod f tom paul f tompkins <laughs> mark Marin, aisha tyler janet varney uh, so many podcasting superstars the thrilling adventure hour and, and the only way you can enjoy this is to actually physically travel to la you would think that's the case but no you can actually watch the entire thing happen you can watch a live video stream of all the shows uh if you go to lapodfest.com and click on live stream use the code science for five dollars off and it'll only cost you twenty dollars to watch the entire thing from the comfort of your own bedroom but then what if you have to be at work during some of the time that some of those amazing podcasts are happening Andy? luckily you pay for that live stream you can get access to the archives that's exactly what it is and someone just can't wrap their head around like how could this possibly uh if if you, if you buy access to the live stream, you can watch an archive of it for three or four weeks afterwards. So uh, if you can't be there in person, do check it out. There's so, so for much. For 20 bucks, you get a full month, basically, of access to the live video of every yep. single one of these podcasts. But obviously, we'd rather have you to come there in person. So if yeah. you are in LA in September, um, visit LAPodFest.com for info. And there are also all kinds of fun events, panels. Um, there are catered happy hours and a closing night party with a live karaoke band. Uh, and the whole thing's sponsored by Audible this year, which is incredible. We really appreciate audible's support so um, they're great they're great i'm doing some stuff with them right now they're, they're awesome yeah, yeah they're starting yeah. to actually commission original shows now as well, mm -hmm. well yeah um, that's that's what i'm doing with them it's like it's uh 
I can tell you guys a little bit about it. It's, nice. Um, we don't have a name. It was going to be called Misdirected, but I guess somebody already has that. And it's basically, I do like a lot of impressions and stuff. So I've been doing director impressions. That's so specific. I love it. Yeah. And so like, I'll have a different director do a different, uh, like, famous like children's like story so like i just did like a david lynch doing chicken little or like woody allen doing snow white um just can, did a can i hear a little one. of your david lynch um sure sure what do you want me to say like uh hey why don't we why don't we because that we've got time for one more science story so why don't we just okay. pull up that one last science story as david lynch okay um, I think a good one to end on that's positive is uh, we talked about a malaria vaccine last week that is very good good news, but it's still not uh, an extremely effective one, even though it was yeah. approved for use. But um, Chris Nelson sent this in uh, in that yeah, it's sort of it's a relatively ineffective, but malaria is so prevalent and so dangerous that it's still better to have something that's, that's huge numbers of lives will be saved just by a small reduction in the mortality yeah but even better news there's an ebola vaccine that has led to uh 100 protection and could transform the way ebola is tackled so i wonder what david lynch would think about this i'm gonna back up because he's a little loud a vaccine against the deadly Ebola virus was led to 100% protection and could transform the way Ebola is tackled. Preliminary results suggest. I won't keep. I won't keep going. <laughs> that's, that's a perfect. I feel like I'm watching the director's commentary of Eraserhead here. That's amazing. Transcendental meditation. No one has ever gotten the Ebola virus. I never realized how much he sounds like he's selling newspapers in 1930. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Have you ever seen his series on YouTube where he's just like, just looks out the window and tells people what the weather is? He's <laughs> <laughs> the best. He's like, where did he come from? How does a person become David Lynch? Uh, I love him. What's your favorite David Lynch movie? Um, hmm. I guess, oh, that's, I guess probably Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Yeah. That one, I guess none of them make any sense. So I can't like judge it based on. I that. mean, Eraserhead, I think, is the one that sticks with people the most. That's like the ultimate like art school. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Zero plot besides the fact that he's terrified of fatherhood. I guess is what that's about. Yeah, it must be about that. Yeah, totally. I think my favorite though is by far Twin Peaks. Like Twin Peaks is. Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. Still never seen it. Really? Never seen Twin Peaks, and the whole of it's on Netflix now as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I got to start from the beginning. It's great. It's good if it, it's it's a good date thing to do, because you'll have like a long, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Insurers they'll have to stay with you for six months or so. Yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> now I don't know much about it, but I can tell you the types of TV shows I like. I like shows about robots and friendship. Okay. There's a um, friendly robot who runs a diner in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> I don't think he's ever done anything with robots. Now that I think about it, probably not. No. Do you like severed ears? Like, yeah. <laughs> Do you like uh, Dennis Hop? Wait, Dennis. Yeah, Hopper. Dennis Hopper. <laughs> Dennis Hopper telling people not to drink Heineken. Um, I do Pants like that. Blue Ribbon, man. <laughs> I do like that. I like it more in person than I do on film, though. Yeah. Um, it's harder and, with Dennis Hopper not being with us anymore. Anyway, this vaccine, yeah. by the way, uh, it was started by the Public Health Agency of Canada and developed by the pharmaceutical company Merck, and it combines a fragment of the Ebola virus with another safer virus in order to train the immune system to beat Ebola. Excuse me. Uh, that wasn't the, an Ebola sneeze, uh -oh. was it? Uh-oh. Yeah. That's how it Just always starts. a little bit of Ebola. Uh, a unique clinical trial took place in Guinea. When a patient was discovered, um, their friends, neighbors, and family were vaccinated to create a protective ring of immunity. Which, again, sounds like something from, like, a kid superhero cartoon. Yeah. Right. Like, Ring of immunity. Engage. <laughs> uh, this could be the breakthrough the world has been waiting for. There's caution. The results are preliminary, with more data coming in. But officials at the WHO believe the effectiveness of the vaccine will end up being between 75 and 100%. Had it been available 18 months ago, thousands of lives could have been saved. Uh, still other vaccines being trialed, notably from GlaxoSmithKline and Johnson & Johnson... Uh, although as the number of cases continue to fall, it's becoming increasingly difficult to prove how effective they are. Ebola will inevitably come again, though. Uh, the hope is now the legacy of this unprecedented outbreak will be a vaccine that means a tragedy of this scale can never be repeated. Good work, science. Yeah, because also, yeah. I, presumably, if they are near, like even 75% effectiveness, if you get enough people in the area, 
with it, then you get you start to get herd immunity. Like the fact the Ebola virus can't spread. It just gets Okay, yeah. Dampened down. Hmm. Incredible. Yeah, it looks like close contacts of Ebola patients in Guinea will now be vaccinated immediately. And since the vaccine has been shown to be safe, the process will also be extended to include children. Uh, Médecins Sans Frontières is involved with this research. Oh, by the way, on that subject, apparently all our stereotypes last week about uh, French people are actually... French Canadians are actually about French French people. Oh, okay. Well, French whatever. Canadians have different stereotypes, said. I can't remember who wrote in to say that. I want to know what French Canadian stereotypes are. Uh... I mean, I have my own from my week there. Uh, they, they love. Were you just there for yeah. Montreal? I, I, yeah, I just uh, went to go check it out. And um, they are as much fans of, uh, you know, waxed mustache, artisanal facial hair as, as any Williamsburg or Portland. Mm-hmm. And uh, very active, a lot of bicyclists and uh, cigarette enthusiasts. They equally enjoy activity and cigarettes. Do they hate Americans? They hate Americans. No, they're fucking fine with us. They're totally Do fine they double us. hate? Because... I did ask uh, a, uh, a French-speaking girl who spoke some English. Um, at, I met at a bar, and we were talking about why I was there. I said, for this festival, I asked if she had any favorite comedians, and she made this horrible face. She's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm like, what? You don't, why don't you like, you don't like any comedians? And she was like making a thing with her fingers near her face. Like, no, their eyes go in all directions. And like, oh. Is she thinking of owls? No, com- <laughs> no. She asked. She she thought I asked her if she had any favorite chameleons. You know the way you ask people if they, who their favorite chameleons are. And Did I just fuck your joke? Sorry. Uh, uh, no, it's honest to god truth. She thought I asked wow. her what her favorite chameleon was. That actually happened. That is astonishing. Yeah. It was Eric Boisbert sent sent in say uh, Quebec. Uh, the or, Quebec. I'm sorry, uh, Eric Boisvert. But, uh, <laughs> probably. Yeah. The 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 Quebecois uh, do have things that are much more. Similar to U- U.S. and U.K. stand-ups, and French Cana- Canadian stereotypes are much more hockey, frostbites, snowmobiles, and poutine. Mm. Right. And apparently, the French they speak is a uh, um, 17th century sounding French. Hmm. But how do we know what 17th century French sounded like? Uh, yeah. I think they speak to time travelers. Okay, that makes sense. Um, other than that last one, that just sounds like Canadian stereotypes. Right, right. They love yeah, it Rush does, right? and yeah. hockey and fair naked ladies and, yeah. And, uh... Drennan, yeah. uh, are you a Rush fan as a nerdy I, music fan? You know, I've actually I've seen them live. Um, 30 I don't, times, but I, I wouldn't don't, call myself a fan. Uh, it was for their 30th anniversary tour, um... All, everybody I was with was much more of a Rush fan. I didn't know much more than, like, the big ones. Yeah, I just have the best, greatest hits double CD thing. I've never seen a, such a lack of women at a concert. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> nothing nothing is less attractive to a woman than the music of Rush. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like as I get older, I can appreciate them more. But, man, I could not stand them when I was a kid. Like, it was just... I just couldn't stand uh, Getty Lee's voice. It's pretty... Yeah, it's it, that's the same thing that I have with Slater Kinney. I know I'm supposed to love what they represent. But right, it's the same crazy falsetto vibrato thing. That's like yeah, yeah. But the rest of it's pretty. I mean, there's some great that early stuff. Fly by Night's a great song. You know, there's some good stuff. There's some good stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. It's yeah. it's uh it's expert level appreciation stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's the highest difficulty rating for listening music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Dren. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your work and see you live, maybe, or track down your stuff? Yeah, um, you can go to my website, just drennandavis.com. Um, uh, Karen Kilgariff and I are touring quite a bit. We're going to be in San Francisco this weekend with um, Janine Garofalo, and then we're going to be at the High Plains Festival in Denver, and then we're going to be in uh, Canada. We're going to be at the Winnipeg uh, Odd Fest. The Odd Block oh, Festival. Odd Block I'm going to be performing there also, actually. Awesome. Cool. Yes. I don't have the link in front of me, and my internet's being shitty. Uh, if you just Google Odd Block Festival, I'm sure you'll find it, and it's in Winnipeg. It's the comedy festival that's happening in Winnipeg. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, there's more than one. There so. is more than one. I've done the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, which... So many festivals in Canada. That's, how, that's the only way they can get us up there. Yeah. I have some government mandate, yeah. Uh, but Winnipeg, great place to do comedy. Is it? Yeah, it is. That is. Tell me a little about... I've never been to Winnipeg. I've only been to Vancouver. Well, I've been... Uh, it's it's a bleak, godless town. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... Uh, well, I've been, there t- I've been there mostly during the winter. I think I've been there three times, and every time it's been during the winter, uh, where it's very cold, and they live in tunnels that... 
they don't, they never go above ground and they live in tunnels that connect the buildings and when you point that out to them they deny that and they say we totally go above ground but that's a lie uh, are you serious they go they have tunnels well there's bits of the town center so does Minneapolis to be fair yeah I mean, there are connections between buildings so you never have to oh it's oddblock.ca um but uh, I did the I did I've done I did a show there for just for laughs and I did a show there for a couple of shows there for the festival and I think I did another show there for another thing and every time it's been great. Right like on. They are they like their comedy. Right they turn on. out in good numbers and they laugh heartily. Cool. Possibly for warmth. Possibly just to stay alive. But we uh but anyway, go, it's good. Look, check out Drennan uh at uh, you're also on Twitter at Drennan Davis. Yep. Uh, check us out at Probably Science uh, and also at Andy T. Wood, at Matt Kirshen, at Jesse Case. Listen to Jesse yeah. vs. Cancer. Uh, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to listen to that. It's uh, f- for the worst reason it exists, but it is a phenomenal show. Uh, and find out what's going on with Jesse and also just his thoughts on life and him being very funny. Uh, and go check out uh, Lenny Kravitz's dick that popped out on stage <laughs> and what? wonder and wonder why was he wearing a cock ring under his leather pants and why wasn't he wearing underwear? It's my favorite day in the history of the internet today, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's there for ease in many situations, yeah. for many reasons. Uh, you can donate. You can also buy stuff through Amazon. You can spread the word about us. Uh, you can tell me if you have a Burning Man ticket for sale. And that lawnmower means it's time to go. <laughs> it does. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.